This is the Parent Life Podcast, and I'm Jason Stanland. How can we be investing our faith in our children? As parents, we often want our faith to pass on to our children, but many of us do not know where to begin. Furthermore, based on the trajectory of our children and our culture, it appears that our faith will not actually pass on to our children. What do we do? Joining me today is Dr. Richard Ross. Dr. Ross has served as the professor of student ministry in the Jack D. Terry School of Educational Ministries at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary since 2000. His entire life has focused on seeing Christ glorified in the lives of teenagers and their parents and leaders. He served as a local church student pastor for 30 years. Overlapping part of that time was 16 years of service as the student ministry consultant at Lifeway Christian Resources. He has written over 20 books, and he speaks at over 40 conferences a year on the topic of student ministry and parenting. He is one of the founders of the True Love Waits movement, which became a global awakening to Christ in many students' lives. Dr. Richard Ross is also one of my heroes in student ministry, and I'm very excited to share this interview with you today. Actually, we've met a couple times throughout the years. Um, first time I met you is in 2011 at Momentum 3 Conference with Global Youth Ministry. Um, I yep. was just a brand new youth pastor and did not know uh, what I was doing at all. And so I remember uh, you were speaking, it was a legacy series, and uh, you were there and you spoke on uh, a recent book that you had done with David Bryant, Christ is All. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still have it. I uh, love it. I've actually used it for preaching series many times, actually. So it's it's wonderful content. Um, so I, I've got a bunch of other things. I'm going to just geek out for a minute. Uh, we are recording, but like I've gotten so many of your resources. I can just just it is such an honor just to actually get to interview you for my uh small podcast. I've got even your parent checkup books. When I became a youth or a college pastor, I started Googling books. I found this one. Good. Pulled nice. it up. Oh my goodness. And that it was so, is so old. Listen, I found this one on that Amazon. Is incredibly old. But they're still so good. I still refer to them. And then of course, some of your more recent ones, you've got the 31 Truths to Shape Your Student Ministry, Senior Pastor in the Reformation of Student Ministry. I love oh, wow. this book. This was such a good book. Um, I took many interns through this book. Uh, and of course, uh, you've got Youth Ministry That Lasts a Lifetime, another favorite. And then uh, you just published a new one in November that I have not gotten a copy of yet. Uh, I think it's on order. But a new vision for SBC student ministry. Right. What's that one about? Well, the SBC has set goals for the year 2025. Yep. And uh, one of those goals is to turn around ministry with those under 18. So some of us came together to create a plan for how to actually do that 16 changes. And those changes are the heart of the book. Really, I'm writing primarily to. St- senior pastors but I noticed I think you a lot started of to do that are going to find it are going to find it interesting reading but really it is how do you how do you make huge big changes in the church in order to reach and disciple and send out teenagers so let's just start with some simple questions what is the greatest challenge that you believe parents face today 
Well, I have an idea that uh, not everyone in our culture would agree with me on this, but I think the greatest challenge is also the greatest opportunity the parents have, and that is to take their love and their adoration for Jesus and reproduce that in each of their children so Mm -hmm. that the kids leave home and they want to change the world for the glory of God. To me, that's the greatest opportunity the parents have. The sad thing is, according to the newest research from Christian Smith, parents want two things from the church. They want the church to help their kids become successful, Mm -hmm. and they want the church to help their kids be moral. So, and according to Christian Smith's research, parents are not wanting much else in addition to that. Just make my kids successful and make them moral. Obviously, those two things matter. They're both interesting things. They're just not nearly as important as rearing sons and daughters that would live or even die for the glory of God. So I would say that the challenge facing parents right now is to make sure that their parenting is pointing their kids in that direction. Uh, Of course, a lot of parents at church, they might have some kind of a religious goal for their kids, but they're primarily hoping that the church is going to take care of that kind of dry cleaning parents. You drop kids off at church and you hope to pick them up clean and pressed, but actually that's not working very well. That's why half of our kids are leaving the church after high school. Mom and dad have got to step up to the plate and actually spiritually lead Uh, that, that, includes practices, spiritual practices in the home. We can talk about that if you want to, but even yeah, more love, important love than for the, you to follow up with that concept of why is it the parents only want their kids to be successful and moral, and they're not interested in overly if their kids are spiritual or godly. I think parents today primarily want their kids to be successful and moral because mom and dad, even if they're believers, have lost their first love in Jesus. I really do think a high Christology, I really do think a living, breathing, daily relationship with Jesus is what causes you to want that for your kids. If you're just a good old church member and you you know you're conservative and you're a nice person, those are all wonderful things. But I don't think that really motivates you to want your kids to join Jesus in changing the world. I think those things those kinds of goals are unique to moms and dads who themselves are in love with Christ, who themselves get up every morning and try to figure out how in my work today am I going to make Jesus more famous on the earth? If if that's not real and alive to a parent, I'm not sure that it's going to be to a child, which means if I have an opportunity for my son or daughter to play travel ball six Sunday mornings, That kind of looks like a bigger deal to me than six Sunday mornings of worship and Bible study and Christian fellowship and everything else. Mm -hmm. All of that hinges on what is the actual condition of the heart uh, of mom and dad. And I think those that are alive in Christ want to have kids who will be too. I would agree with that. And that goes all the way back to uh, Ken DeCreasy Dean's research that, you know, parents are essentially discipling their children with their own lives. Uh, And they would say, well, we're not discipling or we're not being active in these things, but no, they are replicating themselves and their children. And so when their children end up not that spiritual, it's probably because mom and dad were not that spiritual to begin with. How would you define biblical parenting or biblical approach to parenting? A biblical approach to parenting simply means I'm doing all that I know how to do 
so that my children first commit their lives to Christ through redemption. And after that, I'm joining Christ in literally discipling, spiritually forming my son or my daughter to be in the likeness of Jesus. And then I'm implanting in that son or daughter a burning desire to spend the rest of their lives making a difference for the kingdom of God. Now, that doesn't mean that every single thing you do during the day is religious. Part of it is just parenting, but even Mm -hmm. biblical parenting has parameters. Biblical parenting means I create structure around my son or my daughter appropriate to their age, and I'm fully expecting them to obey me within those parameters. And when they're not, which they won't lots of times because we all have dark hearts. So when my kids disobey, the issue there is... I am to shape and form them, which might involve bringing some negative consequences in their lives, doing things that are unpleasant to them to discipline them. But what mom and dad in the church often don't know is my reacting to misbehavior with anger and shouting and outburst and even cursing and slamming doors, all of those kinds of things short circuit the process. They are counterproductive. And all that they accomplish is breaking the relationship between the parent and the teenager. The better approach is to be a little bit calm and deliberate and simply say, I gave you the parameters. I explained to you how unpleasant I was going to make your life if you disobeyed me. You've made that choice. Now we're going to do what I said I was going to do. That does positively shape the behavior of kids. It is so much more effective than shouting and jumping around. And it gives us kids that make great moral and ethical decisions the rest of their lives. That's all part of parenting. Deepening the relationship is part of biblical parenting. Disciplining is part of biblical parenting. But praying with your kids, reading the Bible with your kids, that obviously is central to the process as well. So you had used the phrase spiritual formations. And just in case we have some parents who are not familiar with what that actually entails, you mentioned reading the Bible with your kids, praying with your kids. What are some practical steps for parents when they hear spiritual formation? You know, I want to instill my faith in my child. What are some practical steps that they can follow? Well, one of the things they can do is to have conversations as they, according to Deuteronomy 6, as they walk in the way. Just in the normal flow of family life, you bring up subjects that are spiritually important. That's on the way to soccer practice. Young people are not closed to spiritual conversations. They think it's kind of interesting. What they are closed to is lectures, one-way lectures and put-downs. But in terms of just talking about the supernatural world and the existence of Jesus and what he's like and what the afterlife may be like, all those kinds of things are interesting. So some of that you do just in the normal flow of the day. Other conversations you sit down and do on purpose, Deuteronomy 6, as you sit in your house. That means the family sits together, not long, not drug out, but sits down together with the specific purpose of having a spiritual conversation, absolutely including reading the Bible and absolutely including having a bit more time to pray together as a family. That is absolutely important. I would say a great goal for most families would be that kind of a sit-down conversation at least once a week. And I would think if a family could get everybody in the same room for 15 or 20 minutes, that would be a great goal on the front end. It does matter. Those conversations do matter. 
Another part of spiritual formation would be parents praying with their kids individually. And I think ideally that ought to be once a day, beginning of the day, end of the day. Sometime, I think parents ought to be praying with their kids beyond just saying grace over mealtime. I think that prayer matters. Yeah. And, and a goal I've been giving parents here lately sounds a little bit simplistic, but I actually think it matters. And that is talk about Jesus at least once a day. Once again, not a lecture, not a lesson. I'm just talking about bringing up the name of Jesus. I think that matters to kids. Mm-hmm. It lets them know my mom and dad is not just a good old church member. My mom and dad, they're not just religious people. They really love the Lord. Jesus really is a big deal to them because you see, we talk about the things that are important to us. So I think bringing up the name of Jesus, just including him in the conversation would be the last piece of that puzzle. And I agree. Like the, the, the conversations that just bring Jesus up somewhat, even say nonchalantly shows you that he's interwoven into everything for a kid to say, okay, well, we're going to do our specific spiritual moment here and then maybe nowhere else that could create a bit of a disconnect. And so I like this idea of, whether it's just going down the road or at dinner or wherever you happen to be, just bring up the name of Jesus. And it it kind of subconsciously lets the child know that there's a priority coming uh, that's not just for them, the child, but also for the parent, for the family as a whole. Uh, so Dr. Ross, for um, parents who are trying to help their kids navigate through culture. That's probably the best way to say it. There are critical topics that come up, sometimes negative, but sometimes they're just important topics that need to be uh, specified and clarified. How would you suggest to a parent like, hey, this is how you approach this conversation with your child? Uh Many authorities have lots of wonderful things to say on that subject. This this would be my addition to the conversation. Uh, What I've discovered is young people have a tendency to throw up defenses anytime they feel like a parent is sort of coming down on them or talking down to them or trying to straighten them out. Mm. I think during the teenage years, you just normally are resistant to anything Mm -hmm. that comes at you that way. What, what most young people are not resistant to is a parent talking about him or herself. Therefore, I think it's disarming uh, to a young person when a parent says, hey, I just thought I would explain to you a little bit about how I make really, really hard decisions. I thought I would just tell you a little bit about how I've done making some decisions in my life, or I just thought I would explain to you a thought process that I use when I'm facing X, Y, Z. Young people don't get defensive about that. In fact, most of them are a little bit curious about how their parents are made anyway, and they're a little bit curious about how their parents make decisions. And sometimes they're completely surprised to even discover that their parents are struggling with or dealing with some of the same issues the teenager is. Let me just give you a crazy example. Uh, Here's a father and a middle school son, and they're driving down the road in the car, and it's kind of quiet. And the dad goes, hey, 
I'm not very attractive. You and I would agree with that. And I'm getting a little <laughs> older and you and, I got, you and I would agree with that. But I think if I really, really worked at it, I think I could find some lady in this town that would have an affair with me. I, I think it's a crazy world. I think if I really pushed, I think I could work that out. And, you know, people say an, an affair is kind of exciting and fun. So if I could make that happen and if it would be entertaining, <laughs> Why, why don't I do that? Do you have any idea why I don't sleep around on your mom? And a son is going to be staring holes oh in goodness. the floor what of that car. He's going to be saying, Dad, can we please, please talk about something else? <laughs> Dad could laugh that off a little bit and say, no, no, I really would like for you to know the reason I don't fool around is dot, dot, dot. I will promise you that middle school boy is going to remember that conversation for 10 years. There's no question about it. And there's nothing for him to be defensive about. Dad hasn't said, if you ever get a girl pregnant, I'm going to slap you silly. He he hasn't come down on a teenager. He's just said, hey, you know, know, our our mind obviously goes to sexual things quickly, but there's all kinds of issues. Dad's doing his income tax. Hey, come here. Come here, kid. Do do you know why I I tell the truth on this form? Do you know why I don't cheat to save our family a little bit of money? Well, the reason is, once again, what's to be defensive about? You just have told me how your brain works. You've told me how you make decisions. Mm -hmm. So a teenager is going to find that interesting. I think it's perfectly fine. Within boundaries, I think it's perfectly fine for a parent to be transparent and say, Mm -hmm. "Okay, everybody knows how scary the online world is. And you may think that's a teenage issue. But the fact of the matter is we're all struggling with that. If it's a mother, she might say, "I, I have to admit, you know, some guy from high school finds out how to contact me and he's married and I'm married, but he's being a little flirty on my page. And it's I hate to admit it, but it's kind of gratifying when somebody notices you. Okay, Mm -hmm. do you know how I decide whether or not to pursue that conversation or not? Okay, here's how. Dad obviously would have different issues. We know all about that. But once again, a a parent is just saying, this is how I make decisions. This is how I deal with this issue. These are thoughts that go through my mind, even in my prayer life when I'm considering one, two, three. Who's going to who's going to be offended by that conversation? A teenager is going to be interested in that conversation. So I say, yes, deal with the really, really hard, difficult issues. But do that in a way where you're talking more about when I read scripture, this is what God is saying to me. Or when I'm dealing with this issue or perish the thought. But if you were ever to come to me and say that you're attracted to people of your same gender, you just need to know, number one, I am not going to love you one bit less. And the reason is I have figured out that God loves me that deep. So Mm -hmm. once again, nothing scary. I'm just talking about me. So it might be that that will be helpful to some parents in determining how they're going to address really tough issues. And I love the approach uh, of transparency because students naturally gravitate to transparency and vulnerability, especially on parts of their parents, because as parents, we're very tempted to present this perfect version of ourselves, this edited version of ourselves to our children, uh, partly because we don't want them to make the same mistakes that we made. And so somehow if we shield them from that, we think that their sin will not catch up to them but their sin is just as alive in them as it is alive in us. And so by presenting this, um, I I love this approach. It's very simple. Uh, Dr. Ross, thank you very much for joining us today. 
Um, looking forward to having you on the 13th. Looking forward uh, to you doing this knee-to-knee experience with uh, parents for the lunch. I'm very excited about having you come. Uh, thank you for giving up your time uh, for the podcast this morning, and God bless. I'm excited about coming. Thank you for letting me share this way early. Dr. Ross will be speaking at the Parent Life Sunday service at Fruit Cove Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida on February 13th. Following the February 13th Sunday services at lunch, there is a special opportunity for parents of students. Uh, It is an interactive program where the parent and the student go together. There's lunch included if you would like to do that for February 13th, 2022. You can go online to fruitcove.com slash parentlife, and you can find out more information about that event. Thank you for listening to the Parent Life podcast today. If you have any questions about me or my ministry, you can go to jasonstanland.com. For more information about Fruit Cove Baptist Church and her ministries, please go to fruitcove.com. The links are in the bio and the descriptions. If you would like to submit a question or response to the podcast, you can email us at parentlife, all one word, at fruitcove, with a V, dot com. May you be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Colossians 119.